How are you out there? Good. Just good. I was hoping you were great. Genesis 44 tonight. 38 verses in this. Uh, looks like 30. 30 plus verses here. 34. It's going to go through. I'm just going to read it in just a minute here. I'm going to have Sister Kim come and read the chapter. Um, and we're going to thank God for the word tonight. Lord, we just thank you tonight that we can come to this place in the middle of the week and worship you and enter into your presence and that you move in this place. We thank you that the word is spoken here and the Holy Spirit allows us to drink it in. So Father, tonight I pray for me as I deliver it, Lord, that there be an anointing. And for my brothers and sisters tonight as they are hearers of the word, Lord God, let the word penetrate our minds, get into our hearts so that we can be doers and not hearers only. God, let the principles that you've tucked in here come alive to us and help us to have those moments where we see truth and we, we readily snatch it up and want to apply it to our lives. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 44, Sister Kim. This is 44. Then he commanded his house steward, saying, Fill the man's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. As soon as it was light, the men were sent away, and they with their donkeys. They had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, Up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is this not the one from whom my Lord drinks, and which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So he overtook them and spoke these words to them. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. So he said, Now let it also be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried, each man lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. He searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and when each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. Verse 14. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this deed you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? So Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it for me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah approached him and said, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ears, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. 
My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? We said to my Lord, We have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about, when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? For I fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father. I mean, it's just one thing after another with these guys. Have you ever felt like this in life? All, right, at some moments, you know, where it's just, you, you go from one thing to the next and you just pray for a breather. These guys are not getting a break here, but God's hand is in this. There's reaping of what's been sown. There's also uh, some issues afoot here. Uh, Joseph is trying to get some time with his younger brother, and he's found a very creative way to effectuate that. And uh, we see more, more trauma for these guys here. And uh, as we start, everything's going well. They go, they get food, their grain is... You know, as much as they can carry, they're taken back with them. This is a good thing in a famine. To have all that food is just a blessing. Jacob's sons are, you know, loaded up and they, they leave. And all of a sudden, things begin to go wrong. Everything was going well, but you know what? Uh, they had secret sins that they had to deal with. And they all had guilty consciences. Remember, they're going to start talking about what they did to Joseph. It comes up every time things get bad. Do you notice that? You know, having a guilty conscience is, a, is quite a thing to, to bear. Secret sins always find us out. And when the payday comes for them, it's very painful. So if we have a conscience that isn't correct like these guys do, and if we are dealing and struggling with sin, we have to confess our sin to God. And we should confess to one another too. One amen on that. Because that's less fun, isn't it, right, Tom? Did your wife jab you and make you say, no? Because confessing to God is okay, isn't it? I mean, that feels good, right? Because you get it off your chest and you feel the love and you feel the forgiveness and it's good. But confessing one to another, yeah, 
Not so easy. But the thing is, you know, it keeps us, when, if we'll get with someone, if I'm with Phil and I, I just admit, you know, I got, a, I got a problem, I got an attitude here, and I need to confe- confess it to my brother. It's a good thing because when we all walk around like we're perfect, come on, and Christians do this. You know, we give this air like we got it all together and we're perfect. And, you know, we, you know, we don't know too much about sin. We've seen pictures or read about it, but, you know... <laughs> You know, we don't do ourselves any favors when we walk around acting like we're perfect. Then when my brother's hurt or my sister's hurt and they, they feel, oh, I can't come to them. They're perfect. Wow. So confess those secret sins and get them off your chest and get right with God and be accountable for things that you do because it's going to lead to a more peaceable life. These guys are not having peace now. In verse 1 and 2, Joseph continues to test his brothers and that's what's happening here. They're being tested. They had bad character and no integrity and he wants to see you know, if they've changed. Now there's a little payback involved and at this point it, it is painful. Joe's servants load up the sacks with grain. They put the money back in them and you know there again these guys get loaded up and they take off at the break of dawn and i want to say something you know these guys don't live in the world that we live in but since 9 11 how many can agree pack your own bags are you getting this they let them they had a problem before tom but these guys are not i mean they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer they let them pack their bags again and didn't check them and they left like duh I mean, check what's in your bag. They don't even check. They just leave. And it, it's a setup. And you might say, well, you know, God purposed and all this stuff. Yeah, th- there's not too much wisdom here. There's no way I would have left Joseph's home without checking my bag. These guys do. So in verse 2, Benjamin's bag is loaded with grain, with his cash, and a silver drinking cup. He misses it. Wisdom is a good thing. Let's be wise as serpent, as gentle as doves. These guys are not any of those things. And they leave with, the, with the, the money, they leave with the grain, and they leave with the cup. And now they haven't learned anything since the last trip. In verses 3 and 5, it shows us how tactful Joseph is with this. He orchestrated the whole thing, and he's setting them up. And he sends, you know, one of his servants who loaded the bags, he sends the servant to go catch up with them. And as soon as they catch up with them, uh, the drama ensues here. There's an accusation made that they were stealing. Listen, you know, to verse 5 here, it, it, it says, And they had, just as they had gone out of the city, not far off, when Joseph said uh, to his house steward, Up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this one from which my Lord drinks? Is not this the cup from which my Lord drinks and which he uses uh, to do divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So it's a setup. He sends the steward out who loaded the bag to go run him down, and he does. He makes the accusation to them. And, you know, there again, these guys immediately, you know, they're, they're upset, they're anxious, and they don't really defend themselves, but, you know, they're kind of shocked. And I want to look at the way they respond, respond here. Notice they didn't freak out in a way that they defended themselves and, and, and you know, rebutted the accusation. No, they're a little humble at this time. They're a little bit meek at this time. You know, when we are accused of something that we're sure we didn't do, the way we respond says a lot about our character. Come on, give me an amen. Amen. 
It says a lot about our character. You ever see someone who, you know, maybe somebody says something they don't like or it's an accusation and they just fly off the handle and explode. You know, and it comes, come to find out they were innocent, but they acted like so badly that it would, have been, it would have been a lesser crime if they were guilty of what they were accused of. Have you ever been there? You know, you, you, you went from, you know, one situation to now it's worse. Your character was worse. And so they're a little bit self-controlled here. And I, I want you to note that. That's a good thing. But they don't defend themselves in a way that, you know, makes them look guilty or ridiculous. Um, it's really, for us to be indignant about being accused of things really shows that we have a pride issue. You know, because all of us are capable of the worst of sins. <laughs> it's quiet tonight. Is there anybody here? If I have my eyes closed, I'd be... It's, is there no, anybody here? You know, because to, to fly off the handle and say, I would never do that. That just shows a lot of pride and a lot of ego and not much humility. And so these guys are learning some humility here. These guys are learning the right response. And, you know, I wanted to note that, that, you know, you and I need to not defend ourselves or not act like, you know, we are above sin, but we should be humble, even when we're falsely accused. You know, many times we can uh, escalate a situation that we could otherwise de-escalate if we had just a little bit of humility. Verses 6 through 13 lays out the response of Jacob's sons here. Now the accusation is made against them and their response is good, they're a little controlled, and it's also bad. So they're wise and they're foolish here in the way they respond. He overtook them, it says in verse 6, and spoke these words to them. Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. So, you know, they're, they're not flying off the handle, but they're saying, we didn't do this. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks, we brought back to you in the land of Canaan. And how could we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? With whomever, now listen to verse nine, with whomever your servant is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. So the response is good and it's bad. The good part is that they you know, they're humble and they say, we didn't do this and they, they don't fly off the handle. The bad part is they make a rash vow. Now you and I have been through some of these Old Testament books and I've talked about rash vows. And every time someone makes a rash vow, it comes back to bite them. Amen? See, these rash vows that we make are what? Out of maybe anxiety or out of desperation or out of fear, you know, but they basically say, we didn't do this, but who, if, if anybody's found with anything, let them die. Now, why say that? Are you guys really so sure of all your brothers? I mean, we've seen what these guys are capable of. They threw their brother in a pit and they sold him. They deceived their father, yet everybody's above reproach now. Nobody could have possibly done this. Boy, we overestimate ourselves and we, we, we many times miscalculate things and these guys make a miscalculation. They're humble, they're a little bit controlled, but they do make a foolish, rash vow and you know they're confident in themselves and they shouldn't be. You know, it's good to be confident, but overconfidence is deadly. 
It's good to be confident, but let us not be so confident about anything about ourselves that we can't entertain the possibility that we're wrong or that we're guilty or that we made a mistake. Right? So here we go. These guys are making these vows, and the servant says, you know, something that's pretty interesting to them. Uh, he basically says, well, let's, let's do it your way. Let it be at your word. So they define the punishment. Did you catch that? Um, there again, sometimes it's good for us to just shut up. Like when the police officer pulls you over, or you're standing before the judge, or you're in the hot seat somewhere in the pastor's office. He's got a 12-gauge. No, never mind. Sometimes it's good just to be quiet and not say anything. A lot of times, you know, if we're honest enough, we've run our mouths in situations where we made things worse for ourselves. I know I have, right? Yeah. You too, you're Italian too, right? Yeah, okay. So we, you know, you have this hard time of not speaking. These guys define their own punishment. They, they said, you know what? Kill the person who took it and we'll all be your slaves. Why would you say that? And the servant goes, okay, let's do it your way. Now, the brothers are going off the rails here with the unnecessary rash vow. Uh, whoever, you know, your servant is found with it, let him die. Let, the, let us be your slaves. Uh, overconfidence is a bad thing. Joe's servant uh, knows exactly what's going on. He loaded the sacks and he put the, he put the, the cup in the one there. So uh, he says, now let it be according to your words. And, you know, he's part of the setup here and he's playing the game that Joseph, his master, has got him playing here. Verses 11 through 13 uh, they open up their cargo and the cup is found in Benjamin's sack. Now, they are all shocked. You know, Benjamin was probably the purest and just the, the, the best of them all. And, the, and the, the stolen merchandise is found in his sack. Could you imagine the confusion here and the anxiety and the stress? I mean, when I read this and study it, I, I feel the stress level here. Do you feel it? I mean, this is huge. This is life or death. We're all reading it. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, and we know what happens. Yeah, and the, you know, it's going to work out good. But they didn't know that. They didn't have the complete book of Genesis that they could read the end. <laughs> they were living it. And it's scary. You and I go through stuff, and it's scary. And we don't know how it's going to end. And people say, have faith. But sometimes we, we have faith, but we don't know how things are going to turn out. Sometimes things turn out really badly. And, and, and God's will is hard to swallow. These guys have no idea how it's going to turn out. They unload their cargo. They're all busted. They're all guilty. They're in trouble. Uh, Judah sticks his neck out, and he tries to, you know, just kind of uh, get in there and broker some sort of deal here. Uh, he, he says, you know, basically he's running interference now. Reuben is not the older brother. Reuben, uh, for some reason, you know, he has no... He has no voice in this thing anymore. And verse 14, you know, they're brought back to Joseph. They all pack up their donkeys and they come back. And it said, when Judah, his brother, came to Joseph's house, he was, well, he was still there and they fell to the ground before him. So here's the, the, the dream that Joseph had keeps getting fulfilled over and over again. These guys are bowing down to Joseph a lot, okay? And when they find out that it is Joseph, it's going to be a really interesting thing to realize that the guy that they've been falling on their face before to beg mercy of was the same kid that told them, hey, you guys are going to bow down to me. I had a dream. And they were like, never. 
In fact, not never, but a lot. <laughs> Judah falls on his face in the ground. He says to Joseph, what is this in verse 15? What is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I indeed practice divination? So what is he saying there? He's saying, you know, I'm an Egyptian and we're into the occult and I'm a, I'm a seer. And he's basically throwing some spiritual pitch at them like, I know what you're going to do before you do it. Now, of course, Joseph is just kind of messing with him at this point. But they must think, yeah, this guy knows everything about us. He knows our birth order. He knows things about us. He, he knows things about our father. He, he definitely is a seer. He definitely is into the occult. And he's basically telling him, I know what you're going to do before you're going to do it. He's really messing with his brothers there. But yet they are horrified of him and they don't know what to do. They're bowing. They're begging. He confronts them. And Judah is humble. He knows he has no defense. Now, notice these proud, arrogant brothers, there has been a transformation in them. God is breaking them down and humbling them. And, and know something. If we're stiff-necked and we're proud and we you know, want to hide and we want to play games with God and we want to avoid accountability, God knows how to break us down. Now, I know none of us, including me, like to hear that. I don't even like to say it, but I just got to say it because it's the truth. <laughs> we can either, you know, humble ourselves before God or he can crush us. These guys chose plan B, and it's working. They're being crushed here. They're being humbled. And, you know, he, he says in uh, verses 15 and 16, when they confront him, he says, Judah says, God has found our iniquity. So there again, they quickly, because they have a guilty conscience, they attribute the trouble they're going to as payback for what they did to Joseph. And you know what? They're not wrong. Isn't that interesting? Many times when we think, oh, why is this happening to me? God's mad at me. I did this. I did that. Many times when we say things like that, we're wrong. We just don't see the big picture. God is good. God is in charge. He loves us. He's doing things that are good for us, even though they hurt at the moment. But, you know, many times you think, well, I'm getting, this is payback for what I've done. And many times that's not the case. This time, it's exactly the case. <laughs> you know, God is paying us back exactly right. And God in heaven is going, I'm glad you're getting my drift. And they are. They are getting this. You know, the, his brother's messing with him. I practice divination. I know what you do. You can't fool me. How could you think you steal from me? And it, it's just not, you know, these guilty consciences. And, and they, they haven't confessed their sin. No, you know, they've kept it to themselves. Their father is still deceived over what happened to Joseph. And, you know, they, they haven't received forgiveness through repentance and confession. So they deal with that guilty conscience and their conclusion is God has found our iniquity. Um, verse 17, Joe is willing to send them all home except he wants to keep Benjamin. So he's, you know, they're like, we'll be your slaves. And he's like, I don't want you guys. You know, he's probably had enough of them already. You know, when you get around your family, you can only take them in short bursts. You guys alive tonight? Imagine if Thanksgiving was a week-long celebration. After a day, it's like, pack up and go. So jo <laughs> Joseph is, you know, he, he doesn't want to keep them all. He just wants to keep Benjamin. So, you know, I think the plan is here. Joseph wants to see his father again. He wants to spend time with his little brother. He hasn't revealed who he is to them yet, but he's kind of working it to his advantage here. He's, he's went through a lot. 
He's making them pay a little bit. He wants to spend time with Benjamin. Uh, Judah realizes he's in big trouble. If Benjamin stays and they all go home, he's got to face his dad. And what did Judah do? Judah said, you can count on me, dad. I'll, I'll make this work. I'll bring Benjamin back. If I don't bring him back, you know, you can do X, Y, and Z to me. So Judah knows there's trouble. So he speaks up. In verses 18 through 34, we get a whole detailed plea here from Judah. I'm not going to go through every part of it because he's basically just recapping what has happened here. He opens up to Joseph and he tells him now, uh, they don't know he's Joseph, so he opens up to the man and he tells him, you know, in this very long-winded plea, basically, you know, he gives him the entire backstory. And notice uh, what he tells them about all the mistakes they made and all the things they did. And, you know, he, he gives them the unvarnished truth. He doesn't lie to Joseph. And this is there again, you know, showing that these guys have changed a little bit. They're not hiding. They're not covering up. Uh, life and death situation here. He gets real honest and real transparent. He tells him the truth. And, you know, I want to say something about that. When we lie, we mess everything up for ourselves. When we, when we give most of the truth, but we twist it to make us look good, you know, we mess things up for ourselves. Here's why. Because God can only work with the truth. God can't work with lies. The minute you and I lie, we just kick God off our team. He's no longer fighting our cause. Well, the truth is ugly, Pastor Rick. I can't tell the truth. The truth hurts too much. God can work with the truth. God can turn ugly things into beautiful things, but not until we get honest with ourselves and honest with others. <laughs> so remember that. God can work with the truth, but he can't work with a lie. He, Judah gives him all the truth, nothing but the truth, the whole truth, so help him God. And he gives it to Joseph, and basically, you know, he, he lays it out. Verse 28, uh, Judah communicates to Joseph what his father thinks has happened to him. Now, this is very interesting here. There again, Joseph is getting bits and pieces. He says, and the one went out from me and said, surely he is torn to pieces. So now Joseph definitely knows what his father Jacob thinks happened to him, that wild animals tore him up. He's gone. He's dead. And I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me, Jacob speaking, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. He says, I will die and go to the grave shattered, a broken man. So he's communicating to Joseph, you, you can't keep Benjamin. You can't send us back. It'll kill my father. And that's a good thing here. You say, well, what's so good about that? These guys are finally getting honest and they're finally protecting someone else besides themselves. You know, all of this time, no one's really cared about, you know, what Jacob's going through. Even though Jacob's not a perfect man, none of us are. But his sons put him through hell with the loss of that child there that he thinks got torn apart by animals. Could you imagine dealing with that? You never get closure over something like that. So verse 29 through 32, Judah flat out tells the man, this will kill my father. This will kill my father. If Benjamin does not return with us, my father will die a broken man from it, and it'll be my fault. So it's a powerful plea here. Uh, 33 through 34, we're seeing Judah show some courage and integrity. And, you know, he says, now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad. 
a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? So there again, a heart change in the brothers, a heart change in Judah. We're seeing some good things here. He steps up and finally he takes responsibility and he's willing to take Benjamin's place for the sake of his father's well-being. What a change. Now, that's a courageous thing. That's a, that's a healthy thing. That, that's, you know, integrity right there. These are the guys that only cared about themselves and what was good for them. You know, this time they don't say, well, let's come up with another story and fool dad again, how, you know, Benjamin got, you know, abducted by aliens or something, you know. It's a worn out crowd tonight. Hard day? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they don't even think a lion. They don't even think of coming up with a story. Instead, he steps up and he says, I'll take his place. It's good stuff. I wonder what most of us would do in his place. Hopefully, we would, you know, be courageous enough to step up and take responsibility. Finally, someone's thinking about Jacob, and that's a good thing. His sons are stepping up for him. They're more concerned about his welfare than their own welfare. So... The conclusion of the chapter is here, you know, we have no decision made, yet there's a powerful plea. It's a very dire situation because, you know, in the brothers' minds, all of their lives are at stake. Their father's life is at stake. Uh, and still the food hasn't made it home to the hungry people. Realize that. Still in the midst of famine. So God's people go through hard stuff at times. God's people wrestle with hard decisions at times. You and I, all of us, have gone through things that we think, why in the world did I have to go through that? Well, many times it's to prove our character and it's to teach us uh, to have integrity. It's to mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. You see, that's the whole point of the drill of being a Christian, that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Come on, someone say amen. Amen. And you know what? You and I are so far off from Jesus that it takes a lot of pressure and a lot of hardship and a lot of crisis sometimes just to bring the, 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 the twisted things or the broken things or the, the wrong attitudes to the surface. So whatever you're going through tonight, realize it's not because God doesn't care. It's not because he's mad at you. It's not because he, he gets excited about making you suffer. It's because he loves you enough to not leave you the way you are. He loves me the way I am, Ray, but he loves me too much to leave me this way for the sake of my wife mostly. (laughs) So let's bow our heads tonight and just think about all of what we've read and all of what these guys are going through and all of the implications there for us. And then I I want you to flip the coin and think about what you're going through in life. How are you going to respond? Judah made some really good responses just now. He was humble and he was he refused to defend himself and he was courageous and he was willing to put himself in harm's way to do the right thing however that applies to us tonight lord allow us to have that same courage yeah they made a rash vow and yeah they were emotional and we're guilty of that too but lord you're bigger than our emotional outburst you're bigger than our our wrong decisions you're bigger than our words that we say out of turn So, Father, I pray for myself and for each of us tonight that whatever giant we face, whatever mountain we face, whatever crisis we face, 
that we realize it's not an accident, but it's part of the process of you conforming us into the image of Christ. So help us to make wise decisions and right responses and to show growth and integrity so that you can bless us and promote us and use us for your glory. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.